starting a, a new three-week sermon series today uh, focusing on stewardship. And stewardship is not commonly a word that we use uh, broadly, but it, it is a, a word that has a lot of biblical resonance. It, it really teaches us what our role is before God and in the world. And it's not as owners or possessors of the world, but it's as people who dwell within the world under the authority of God. And, and so we're going to explore this a little bit over the next few weeks, and specifically, how does, how does this stewardship lead us to a posture and actions of generosity? And, and that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. My role today is to, to help paint the big picture that we're sitting in and, and to raise the question of how do we live within that big picture, and it's, it's kind of this big picture Hayden's going to bring us in a little deeper and more specifically next week, and then we'll, we'll culminate in two weeks. Uh, again, each week getting a bit more tangible and specific. We live in a story. Sometimes we don't recognize the stories we live in. If you go into the mall, the mall has a certain storyline for us, doesn't it? About how we should look, what means to be successful, what possessions we need in order to find happiness. The biblical narrative as well is a story, and it's telling us a story, the true story of how the earth has been created, how we have been created, about the purpose for our lives. It tells us who we are and why we're here. And so this morning, this, this take that we're having is, is to take a look at the, the beginning of the story and the end of the story and then ask, how do we live in the middle? The beginning of the story, you did, you read the longer passage, but we're going to focus on this verse. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Sometimes we call this in our reform tradition the cultural mandate. It's a, a calling that God has given to us in the very act of creating us. He says, go out and make something good out of the world. Rule over it. Do, do something with all that I've put here so that the whole world begins to flourish and thrive. Create. Make culture allow things to, to come up and flourish. There's a couple words in here that are, are kind of key. One is fill the earth and subdue it, that word subdue it, and then right away rule over, subdue and rule. And the question that Genesis really starts answering for us is, is this one. But what kind of rule will this be? In other words, how are we supposed to carry out this ruling that we do. One of the older wor words for in here for rule is dominion. How will we exercise our dominion over the earth? If you read in Genesis 2, the answer becomes pretty clear. It actually says, work the ground and care for it. And that word for work, it's better translated as serve. Serve the ground. 
take that ruling authority that God has given to us, take that, that positional authority that God has given to us, and use it to serve. Serve the ground. Cause that ground to grow and flourish. One of the next places that this word for serve comes up is actually in the context of the tabernacle when the priests are being assigned their work. The priests are to serve the tabernacle. It's using the same word. It gives us an idea. We have this this function in the world that God has given us that is to be cultivating life, that's to be entering into to life and seeing things that, that grow and flourish in God's presence. Serve the ground. And right along with it, it says care for it. And that word for care is most often used of God having care over his people. That's the most frequent place it comes up is God caring for his people, watching over them, looking out for them. And so what we hear between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is God has created us with a purpose and a mission. And and that is to to care for the earth, to, to look after it, to cause it to flourish, just as God cares for us. Take that rule and authority and serve with it. Stewardship. It's really taking the capacity that God has given us and using it for the good of others, for the good not just of other people, but of the whole of creation. It's taking those gifts that God has given and and bending them for the good of something else so that the whole of creation begins to flourish. But if you know the biblical story you know that didn't last long, did it? We tried to be like God. And that being like God in Genesis chapter 3, it was not serving creation. It was demanding that creation be given to you. It was the taking of a forbidden fruit, one fruit, one tree that was off limits, and it was taking it saying, I want this for me. And that impulse to be like God, to say, I want for myself, ends up sending creation, ends up sending humanity on a death spiral. And I don't say that figuratively. It is literally because the children of Adam and Eve kill each other. It comes out in a a worship environment and context where people are to be worshiping God and they turn against each other and Cain kills Abel. Instead of cultivating life, instead of a flourishing in creation that we were called to do, Cain took the authority given to him, that power that was entrusted to him, and he used it to kill you read the stories that come after that, it's only a few generations between, before the whole earth is filled with violence. And everyone is doing right in their own eyes. In fact, the biblical narrative comes back to that again and again and again, where, where God gives a blessing to his people, and his people, upon receiving that blessing, take it and go, hey, thanks, God, 
and then they go and use it for their own ends. And the consequences of that is not a flourishing life, but a brokenness of life. If you read through the book of Judges, which comes after the people have been brought into the promised land, after the people of Israel have been given this whole land flowing with milk and honey and been assured of God's presence within them, there becomes a refrain. And that refrain is, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And they turned from the Lord and did what was evil. This becomes the story. The dominant piece of the narrative of God giving blessings and people taking those blessings and instead of stewarding them for life in creation, they steward it in such a way that it brings death throughout creation. To jump ahead, there comes a turning point in this story. Every good story has a turning point, right? There comes a turning point in this story and God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be part of his people, to dwell among the people and and to do what they couldn't do, to take that authority that he had been entrusted with, to take that authority and use it to serve and to bless, to care for, to look out for, to watch over. Philippians describes it this way. Speaking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Do you see the contrast? Adam and Eve taking and desiring to be equal to God, wanting it for themselves, and as a result of chasing after something for themselves, ends up up trying to be like God, but ends up bringing in death. And Jesus who actually was equal with God, doesn't consider that equality to be something to be used to his own advantage. But he empties himself. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He serves. Being made in human likeness. In other words, doing what humans were supposed to do all along. He adopts that servant posture just as humanity was supposed to have from the very beginning. And he says, I'm going to be the human that the rest of you have failed to be. I'm going to be the steward that you failed to be. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Instead of authority, He exercised vulnerability. Instead of power and control, he emptied himself and submitted to his Father's will for the good of all of us, even though it meant going into death. He emptied himself to serve, to care for us. And the result of all of that is is the end of the story. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I want to highlight several things that that show up in that revelation, the end of the story that we're living in. And, And it's incredible. There's no temple. In other words, God's presence is no longer confined to a small space. God's presence is available for all, accessible to all. There's no more parameters about how and who can access God. 
God has made himself abundantly present. The nations walk by the light of God. The nations walk by the light. The beginning of the story, after that first sin, the nations become enemies and there's conflict and they live in darkness. Violence and competition all the time. And here you see the nations coming to a place where they're living in the light of God, so much so that the kings of the earth bring in their splendor. They're not fighting. They're not possessing the resources of the earth. They're sharing. There's a lavishness. There's a joy in bringing in before God the fullness of creation. The gates of the city are never shut. In other words, there's no more threat. There's no more threat of violence. There's no more threat of war. There's no more threat of the immorality coming in. Nothing impure comes in. There's abundant life. You see this description of the tree of life being planted in the middle of the city by the river of life. And it's this overflowing picture. And that tree of life, which had been forbidden and drawn off, protected so that we wouldn't live in our sin forever now is opened up not only to those, to us but to all the nations of the earth and that there's healing in that we'll see God's face can you imagine that the story that those of us who had rebelled against God who had rejected God in the beginning are now allowed to see God's face to see him face to face without fear, without curse, without consequence because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And then that last line, we're going to reign with God forever and ever. That position of authority that we were given in the beginning is restored to us, that we get to reign with God as, as God's image bearers. We get to enjoy that space it's not a space of power. It's that space back to the beginning. We are restored by God's grace so that we can serve. We can be fully human again, fully alive. Andy Crouch, in his book, Strong and Weak, and we'll be referring to this book, it's got an elephant with a little bird on top, okay? We have four or five copies that'll be in the church library. I'm not sure if they're here yet today, but if they're not, they're coming. Feel free to check one out or pick it up yourself. This, this is part of what Andy says. To live fully in these transitory lives on this fragile earth in such a way that we somehow participate in the glory of God, that would be flourishing. And that is what we are meant to do. In other words, we're meant to live in this story, knowing what we were called to be in the beginning, recognizing, confessing that we fall and fall short of that. And yet, and yet, because of Christ, having the hope and assurance that what God is doing is restoring us so that we can live those lives we were meant to live, full of God's glory by serving by being generous towards others, by caring for the creation. This is the story that we have been embedded in. So how do we live in this biblical narrative? If that's the storyline of Scripture, if that's the story arc, how do we actually live into this story? Peter 
one of the apostles who is known for kind of his, uh, his impulsive nature, he slows down later on in his letters. And in his letters, there's a lot of wisdom and patience. And, and here's what he says. The end of all things is near. We're getting close to the end of the story, folks. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter draws it back to stewardship. Did you see that? And he says, take whatever gift you have. Don't go looking around and say, well, I can't speak like that person, or I don't have money like that person, or I don't have property like that person, or I don't have education, or I don't have a relationship like that person, or I don't have, I don't have. He says, take whatever you have. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever God has given you, however God has blessed you, take it and be a steward of it by serving others. If it's playing instruments, play them well. If you have the gift of counting numbers, count well. <laughs> Find those things that you have been gifted to do, that God has blessed you with, and use them for the glory of God by serving others, by stewarding them. Tish Harrison Warren, Liturgy of the Ordinary, two book recommendations. Tell I got my New Year's book list out. This is a phenomenal book. She takes a lot of these abstract ideas, these big picture ideas, and she walks through a single day. It starts with waking up. Whole first chapter is just on waking up and then on getting dressed and even on brushing your teeth. And she talks about how through these simple liturgies and rhythms, these ordinary moments of our lives, we can actually live into the story of God's glory. Here's what she says. God made us to spend our days in rest, work, and play, taking care of our bodies, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. What if all these boring parts matter to God? And I think that's such a great question because so often we think, well, I need to, if I'm really going to serve God and do something great for God, I've got to go overseas somewhere. Or I, I've got to go get a, a doctorate degree and to go become a professor somewhere. Or I've got to go do this. Or I've got to go do... We think it's always something way beyond us. Something that, that we need more added to us. And what Tish is helping us understand is that God is saying... I made you for these simple, ordinary moments. I made you to show my glory in the most mundane parts of your life. These are the places where I show up. She reflects a bit on how we go from these stories 
of Jesus in the start of the Gospels where we have his birth narrative and they flee to Egypt and then, then we get the story today of his dedication at the temple and then we hear at 12 years old he somehow ditched his parents or his parents lost him and he was at the temple for a few days by himself and then we hear nothing until he's 30 years old. Just these few brief moments. Most of Jesus' life, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, who's incarnate, most of his life is undocumented. No Instagram, no Facebook stories, no, none of that. We don't know what happened. He lived in those ordinary moments. Christ's ordinary years are part of our redemption story. Because of the incarnation and those long, unrecorded years of Jesus' life, our small, normal lives matter. There is no task too small or too routine to reflect God's glory and worth. Putting our shoes on in the morning can be filled with God's glory can be done in such a way that we do it to serve others. We are called not to the grand activities somewhere out there, but the glory of God shown through the stewardship of the square inches that God has placed us in, of the few seconds that God has chosen to give us life. How will we steward these moments? What will we do with these spaces? As Peter said, each of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's when we're going to start experiencing the fullness of God's life in us when we see that each and every moment, each and every relationship, each and every activity that we engage in can be full of the glory of God, when we take this posture that we are stewards of the time and resources that we have been given. We are meant to flourish, not just to survive, but to thrive. Not just to exist, but to explore and expand. Gloria Dei Vivens Homo, Irenaeus wrote. A loose but by no means inaccurate translation of those words has become popular. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. We see it in Jesus Christ. And because of the Holy Spirit, we too can be fully alive. Let's pray.